Okay, so we're back to the Apostles' Creed, and um, last week we saw the, the Trinitarian structure uh, of the Creed. I haven't printed the whole thing out again, but you saw it break out into those three sort of sections. I believe in God the Father, then I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, then I believe in the Holy Spirit. And this week we're thinking about the Father, uh, God the Father. Why do we call God Father? Uh, it's sometimes said, I don't know if you've heard it said, uh, in the Old Testament, they didn't really know God as Father. God the Father is kind of a New Testament thing that Jesus brought in. That there's some truth to that. Certainly there's way more about God the Father in the New Testament than there is in the Old. But it's not, it's not sort of exclusive to the New. Um, Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, they understood, they understood their, their status as children of God, as sons of God. So Isaiah 63, I put on your sheet. Uh, They pray, you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. So Israel, God's people, saw that God was their father and their redeemer. Those two things went together. Uh, In other words, father and saviour kind of mapped onto each other. Because even in the days of the Old Testament, it's there. A bit later in Isaiah Oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands. Be not so terribly angry, oh Lord. And remember not our iniquity forever. So again, you know, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, dot, 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 forgive us our sins. And not totally unprecedented. And that makes sense of a bunch of other, I haven't put all the texts on the, on the sheet, but it makes sense of a bunch of other occasions in the Old Testament where Israel is spoken of like a son. So God says in, in the, through the prophet Hosea, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The son there is the, the whole body of people. He's not talking about one man. So the whole body of people are, are my son. And of course, perhaps most famously, at least it's a psalm we sing, uh, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children. So you see, all the way through the Old Testament, that, that idea of God being a father is there. It's just not the kind of dominant note. It's not a big sounding bell, but it is there. Uh, but why? Why father? Why do we call God father? Okay, is this just a sort of picture as if, um, I don't know, Paul or Jesus or Moses or someone looked around the world and thought, oh, um, I want a picture of what God is like. And I, oh, I can see dads. Dads care for their kids, don't they? So... Um, it'll be a good way of teaching people what God is like if I say look look at fathers God is a bit like that in other words is it a bottom up metaphor uh, we look at families and think okay that's a good visual aid a bit like you might say to a child um, to see how strong the waves are at the beach smashing into the rocks well that's how strong God is uh, the answer is no it's, it's much deeper than that if you've got a bible just turn to John 5 before we do a bit of work in, in groups. John 5 and verse 17. John 5, 17. So John 5, 17 and... Uh, we're in the middle of a debate. Jesus has just healed someone on the Sabbath, Sabbath, on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath and the Pharisees aren't happy. What do you think you're doing working on the Sabbath day? 
Uh, we're going to dive in at the end of the discussion. So verse 17. Um, well, verse 16. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even making God, or calling God, his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son could do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to those whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honour the son, just as they honour the father. Whoever does not honour the son does not honour the father who sent him. Um, Stop there, but he goes on in similar vein. So Jesus, Jesus has just done a healing on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are saying, what, what are you doing? You shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Now, at that point, Jesus could have used all sorts of arguments. And in fact, he does elsewhere. He uses the argument that um, to, to do good on the Sabbath, to help, to heal, it isn't work. It's not kind of breaking the, the fourth commandment. He points out to the Jews that if one of their sheep fell in a pit, they'd put it out so the sheep didn't die. So why shouldn't he, Jesus, heal someone who's sick on the Sabbath? There's all sorts of arguments he could have used, but here... If you look at verse 17, do you see the argument he uses? Why, why am I working today? Well, my father is working and I am working. I'm working because my father is working. And the Jews understand what he's saying in that next verse. This is why the Jews want to kill him, because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But that is what Jesus is doing. Jesus said, well, look, if God's working, of course I'm working. If God the Father's working, of course I'm working, because I am well, I'm one with the Father. And in the, the rest of the verses uh, that I just read, he just gives different examples. So they work together in verse 19. In verse 21, the father raises the dead and gives them life. So also the son gives life. They're one action. And therefore, in verse 23, to honour the father is to honour the son and vice versa. You can't honour one without the other. Now, this isn't a whole session on the, on the Trinity. But I do want to put just a few sort of marker places in. It's good at least once or twice a year just to kind of go back and cover those Trinitarian basics. What, what does the Bible say about the, the Trinity? Well, pretty simply, at a simple level at least, there's clearly only one God. Okay, Genesis through Revelation, there is one God. But that one God exists in these three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And each of those persons, they're not a, they're not a slice of the pie. Okay, like a pizza, if you cut it into three slices... It's very easy to think of God as if if you put the Father, the Son, and the Spirit together, together they make up the one God. But it's not like that, we're told. No, each person is fully God. So if you're looking at Jesus, you're not missing a bit of God. And mind-blowingly, as though this is, if you were looking, I know this is an odd way to speak, but if you're looking at Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you're not looking at more if God the Father comes into the room. Because they are one. Now, I know that is... How does that work? Don't they? But they are one, and yet three in person. So, so what distinguishes them? What, what is the difference between Father, Son, and Spirit? Well, it's nothing about their being. It's not as if the Father is the most powerful, and the Son is second, and the Spirit is third. It's not as if the Father is the one who's really in charge, like he's got more authority, and then the Son and the Spirit. It's not that one is power, one has got love, and one has got grace or something. 
they all have the same nature because they are one. The only difference, and I know this is, it's probably not going to be very helpful in one sense, but the only difference is one is Father, one is Son, and one is Holy Spirit. So it is true to say that Jesus, the Son, is God. It's true to say the Father is God. But it's not true to say that the Son is the Father, or the Father is the Holy Spirit. That would be the mistake. That's called modalism. That would be the mistake of, of sort of thinking of God as if he's only one and not three, really. And the threeness just comes from God changing his role. So again, every now and again, you get this idea that in the Old Testament, God was creator and sort of father. And then in the New Testament, he becomes Jesus, the son. But it's the same God. He's just sort of changed masks. And then after Acts and Pentecost and the pouring of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's sort of turned into the Holy Spirit. As if it's just three different roles the one God plays. But no. No, each one is distinct, but not separate. And that's why in John's Gospel in particular, you get this idea that the Son is begotten of the Father. Um, just flick back to John 1. If you've got an ESV, this is only semi-helpful, but John 1 and verse 14. The Word, so Jesus became flesh, that's God the Son, became flesh, dwelt among us, we've seen his glory, glories of the only Son. Now, in older translations of the Bible, that would have said only begotten. And again, it's not time for big language study, but, but I think that, that matters. Only begotten Son. Again, in verse 18, uh, I'm reading the ESV. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. He has made him known. No one has seen God, the Father, but the only God, again, only begotten. So why in the creeds, particularly the Nicene Creed, we talk about Jesus being the, the only begotten son of the Father. Uh, begotten elsewhere, in, if, you, if you read a King James Version, you would, you would see the word begotten all the time in the genealogies. It just means um, basically gave birth to. So and so begat someone means gave birth to. So someone is someone else's father. But, but with, the, with the Trinity, it's not as if the father makes the son. So there was never a time when there was father but not son. This begetting, whatever it is, is eternal. It has no beginning, no moment when it starts. It doesn't mean the father is superior in a way that fathers in the home have authority over their children, don't they? It doesn't, doesn't work like that. The father doesn't have authority over the son within the persons of the Trinity. But what it does mean, somehow and mysteriously, is that the son within the Trinity, the second verse of the Trinity, the son, receives his being from the father. Now, how that works, I've got no idea. No one has got, ever had any idea. Okay, so it's not just that I'm thick. Um, it, it, no, no one can explain that. Because you're dealing with the most glorious being, if I can put it that way, in all creation. But one verse, just to sort of land that a bit. John 5, 26. Sort of classic verse on this. John 5, 26. If, if at the moment you're thinking, just, oh, this is not what I needed on a Sunday morning, stay with it. This, this, there's a reason we're, we're doing the heavy digging, or deep digging rather. John 5, 26. Jesus speaking again. For as the Father has life in himself, just stop there. As the Father, in other words, he doesn't rely on anything else for life. Okay, he doesn't need food or drink. He, doesn't, he wasn't given life elsewhere. He's just self-existent. Okay, we all rely on air and food and water and sleep and gravity and all sorts of things to keep us alive the father just exists well as the father has life in himself 
so he's granted the son to have life in himself. So the son also is not reliant on anything. He doesn't rely on food, drink, water. Sort of. he, he has got life in himself. But where does that life come from? In his case, it has come from the father. Uh, this is the, the truth of eternal generation, <coughs> eternal begetting. The son's life is from the father, and yet that wasn't a process that began at any point in time, or at least because God exists outside of time. Okay, if, if you just, if the last five minutes are just like, what are you talking about? Here's the kind of the end of it. What that means is father and son are eternal realities. God is eternally Father. It's not like the three persons of the Trinity are just A, B, C, one, two, three. Father, or Father is an eternal thing for, for God. He has always, God the Father has always been generating, eternally beginning, giving life to the Son. So Father is who God is. It's not just a role or something he takes on. So with that in mind, round tables, just to give you a break from me at least. Why might it be important? Well, actually, does anyone ask a question at this stage? Because you're in discussion. Anyone ask a question? Almost certainly the answer is I don't know, but you're sort of vaguely happy so far. Okay. Brilliant. So round tables. Why might it be important that God is eternally father in the Trinity? And by important, I mean, why might that be good news for us? And how does God, knowing that God is eternally a father, help us when we consider him in some of his other roles we come across, creator or king? Um, yeah. Hello. Anna says, now I've got a question. Um, if you put on the sheet, it doesn't mean that the father is superior or has more authority or more power. Yes. Um, <coughs> I've been injured. Yeah. Let's <laughs> <laughs> be honest with you to a minute. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, because he gives authority to the son, so that kind of doesn't that kind of imply that he has the authority yeah. to give? I don't know. So, um, yeah, good, good question. Um, so, a number of times in John's Gospel, you'll and others, but particularly John's Gospel, you'll hear Jesus say things like, "The Father is greater than I." Yeah. I think, all oh, right, um, or yeah, um, I can do nothing on my own, or the Father has sent me, or these sort of things. Um, or in Gethsemane, maybe he's praying, um, and he prays, not my will, but yours. So it's almost like you're, you're the boss, ultimately. What I've got to remember is, is that by the time we get to the Gospels, we're dealing with the son who's become man, the son who's become flesh. And according to his human nature, as man, absolutely, Jesus is inferior to the father, because he is genuinely a man. So w- once you're on the pages of, well, once... You're after the first Christmas, the incarnation. Jesus, two things are true of Jesus at the same time. He is fully equal with God, according to his divine nature. And he's a billion miles below God, according to his human nature. He knows everything because he's God. And when he's, you know, Iona's age, he knows nothing. He can just barble. Um, what examples do we have? Um, so he, he, God is, according to his divine nature, God is not greater than him. The Father is not greater than the Son. Because they are one God, but according to his human nature, infinitely greater. So that after the incarnation, there's that whole, there's two things going on at the same time that both have to be true, that are opposites. He's everywhere, because he's God. He's in the stable. 
because he's a man. So that, I think any time you get anything that sounds higher, lower, it's not talking about within the Trinity eternally. It's talking about come to earth, man. It's a good question. Bro, back round tables then. Have a go at those couple of questions. Okay, let me butt in there because we're going to come back to some of those themes and I want to make sure we finish on time today. Um, yeah, I think we're just going to press on because hopefully the, what we're going to look at in the rest of our time we will um, touch on some of the themes you might have talked about. So God is etern- eternally Father. Grounds the fact that when we come to him as, as Father, it's not just a role he's playing or something he might decide not to be. Um, should he change his mind he is eternally a father and it's into this fatherhood of God that we're saved, redeemed as Christians as children so Jesus says to, to Mary you know when Mary tries to grab his feet and what's going after the resurrection and he says don't hold me yet he says go to my brothers and sisters and say to them I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God it's a really interesting verse isn't it my father and your father, my God and your God. Um, my God and your God goes back to Anastasia's question. Jesus, as man, has a God, worships God. Okay, you say, well, is he worshipping himself? Or it's just a weird way of thinking about it. As man, he worships God. But he also distinguishes our relation to the Father from his. He is naturally the Son of God. He actually is the second verse of the Trinity. But because of the cross and resurrection, because of salvation, we are now able to call God Father. So, Jesus' relation to the Father is, is sort of natural, if I can put it like that, when talking about God. But, but ours is going to become real because of what Jesus has done. And so, I just picked a couple of verses at random. There's all sorts in the New Testament. When the fullness of time had come, we read in Galatians, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus takes the curse, comes under the law, the punishment for sin, so he redeems us from the curse, God's anger, so that, well, not just that we can be scot-free and sort of walk out of jail, but so that we might be sons of God. See what love, John says, the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We are sons in the Son. It's a book written recently with that title. We are sons because we're in Christ. And therefore we have access to the Father as Father because of the privileges he has won for us. So here's um, Jai Packer. You sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as knowledge of God as one's Holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. This is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life. It means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. No, he's not saying you're not a Christian. <laughs> he's just saying there's much more depth for you to come to. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of our adoption. Father is the Christian name of God. We're not just praying to um, dear God, this sort of force out there in the heavens or something. Once you're a Christian, he's Father. That's how Jesus begins the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? When the disciples say, how, how are we to pray? Our Father in heaven. Now, 
he's not saying you can never pray, you know, Lord God Almighty, we come to you today, or, you know, Jehovah Jireh, or, you know, or, or to praise Jesus for that matter, or the Holy Spirit, or to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not saying that at all. But there is a sort of default that, the, that we come to God the Father in our prayers, not just to this generic God. Um, he is a father to us. So with that in mind, back, back round tables. Hopefully the questions are pretty self-explanatory, the first two at least. If you, you can skip the long quote um, if you don't get time and jump down to the last question. If we really believe God was our loving father, how might it change life for us? If you really believed you had a loving heavenly father. But start with one, two, maybe go one, two, four, three. Okay, we ought to draw to a close. Let me, let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you have enabled us to call you Father. Our Lord Jesus, we praise you that uh, you are willing to be uh, cast off, forsaken, in order that we might never be. Our Holy Spirit, we praise you that you've been poured out uh, on God's people in order that we might uh, dare to cry out, Abba, Father. And we pray in your mercy that you would forgive us all our anxious thoughts and doubts and nervous looks to heaven. And forgive us the times we haven't trusted your, uh, your fatherly goodness to us. Strengthen our, our faith. Uh, strengthen our, our deep trust in your gracious, loving kindness towards us. And we pray you'd enable us to be people who walk through life with our eyes looking up to the clouds, seeing a Father who smiles at us because of the grace of Calvary. Work that's in us, we pray, for it's a supernatural gift that can only come above. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.